Hello and welcome to the first 2023 episode of ABB Decoded, the podcast that tries to press pause on our fast-moving lives and make sense of the technology and trends that are shaping our world. I'm your host, Anthony Rowlinson, and we're joined for this episode by Frank Mulon, the CEO of ABB eMobility, who's a leading voice on fast charging and the future of electric vehicles. As you'll hear, Frank was speaking at the final track test of the exciting new ABB Formula E Gen 3 race cars in Spain, where ABB presented its new race fast charger. With technology derived from road fast chargers like the Terra 360, ABB has this year become the official charging partner of the All-Electric World Championship. So, our portable, custom-designed fast chargers will power 11 teams and 22 cars at race venues across the globe throughout Season 9. That season is about to start. So, before the lights turn green, let's hear what it means for ABB to be charging the world's most advanced electric racing championship. So, I'm, I'm Frank Mulon, the CEO of ABB Immobility. I'm uh, with ABB since 2014 and uh, went into the e-mobility business, uh, heading up this business since 2017. And when I went into that business in 2017, it was a business of like uh, $30 million, right? And, uh, and now by uh, 2022, we will close north of $500 million. Yeah? So that is, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what we're doing with the whole team. So everybody on the team fully engaged. So we're speaking here today at the uh, the Valencia circuit ahead of season nine of the ABB FIA Formula E World Championship. And the reason you're here is that we have become official charging suppliers to the championship. So we have ABB chargers in the in the paddock this year for the first time. So it's a great moment for us, um, but particularly for the part of the business that you run. So could you tell us about what it's like seeing the chargers here in the racing environment? Yeah. So we, we we joined the races now since a few years, right? But this is the first year where we're official charging partner. And um, we have been supplying, there was once this uh, Jaguar I-Pace e-trophy, yeah? and we were supplying chargers uh, for those cars. And, and, and these were uh, 50 kilowatt chargers, so one per car, 50 kilowatt. And it was already nice because we got a lot of experience on, on, on how to interact in a race environment. But yeah, it was a sideshow, so to say. And now it's real Formula E. And so we're in the middle of the race. We're part of the thing. And we customize the charger uh, for that purpose. And of course, like having a new product and, and launching a new product, whether it's out in the market or whether it's now for a race, is always thrilling, right? It, it's, uh, it's always something special. And what's it like actually seeing it here because it's mm-hmm. it's quite visible in mm-hmm. the paddock we it's 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 a quite a large white painted mm-hmm. box it has uh red leds on it so you you, you can't really miss it it's quite yeah. a prominent part of the right. of the furniture now right absolutely you know it's, it's looking nice i think we spent some thoughts also on, on on the design of the product and when when you look at the design and when you compare it with our uh, flagship product the the terra 360 which is out in the market you see some similarities you see uh uh, some similarities when you look a bit at the shape. Um, you look uh, see similarities when you look at the um, 
um, actually at the at, at the sheet metal and, uh, and and the way the uh, the the holes to, for the airflow are designed, you see similarities a bit in a uh, little bit in the V shape at least on one side, and of course the LED strips, uh, which is, is also carried over from there, which show the indication on uh, is the charge available or is it charging or is there potentially an error. So you really see that also from the distance, and seeing that from the distance, I think uh, uh, is when you're an EV driver and approach. A charger, that's nice. But now looking in the race context is also nice because everyone visiting uh, and, and seeing what's happening can see from a distance what's happening. Yeah? And uh, so it's, uh, it's nice. I really like the product and, and the fact that this product can charge two cars at the same time uh, also makes it, of course, much more uh, efficient and also from a space point of view. And what's it like when you have to integrate your technology into you know, for a customer, this is a special kind of customer because it's a racing championship. Does that come with its own particular demands and pressures? Because clearly you don't want it to go wrong, right? That's the first thing it has to work. So so what, what's that challenge like? It's a big challenge, actually. I mean, you do for new cars coming to the market or new charges coming to the market, you always need to, uh, to do the so-called interoperability. Now, we work on standards and uh, the more standards evolve, the less you have to work on interoperability because the more it's... it's, it's pretty clear right it's like a new phone so you make it work with the networks fine if that works um yeah of course you also do your tests but uh, the the amount of testing gets less and less now the race environment is uh, is particular because there is particular batteries yeah? so and uh, it's um, also the batteries and how they charge is is it shows a different behavior than the battery of a normal car so usually for that context the c rates can potentially be higher not that we uh, pre-charge the car at higher rates but the ability yeah, is, is different the um, the communication of the battery back to the car or to uh, to the race cockpit uh, for the race engineer so that that, that is also different so uh, there's a lot of particularities you need to look at not so much on the on the hardware but purely on the software side and then for us of course it's important to understand those incorporate those adapt on the software to make sure this is this is working properly and and to support the teams because yeah the last thing we want is to, to let the team down by not being able to charge yeah. do you do you sort of uh as a business you have to like em- embrace the risk because it, clearly there's an element of risk you're quite exposed you're in quite a, it's quite a public environment it's a it's a world championship mm-hmm. you know if you're a supplier to that championship and things go wrong it, it can look bad for a business so how, how do you how do you manage that yeah it's, it's always a chance and a risk right now I'm, I'm not saying that we want something to go wrong but uh, everything is um, is very tight and uh, so things might go wrong and um, so then we have to deal with it uh, but we will also learn from it and i think that this learning is um is very important because what you learn there, uh, you can then carry over into into real life. I mean, when we have here uh, situations where within a few minutes, uh, the car has to be charged up uh, between the races, for example, and then something doesn't work and the communication uh, might have an issue because they introduced a new software on the car and um, doesn't really um, speak the language anymore. And then yeah, we have to adapt very fast on the spot. Yeah. Now, that's interesting. So each of the teams might be providing their own software solutions for power management and energy efficiency, but your charger, this charger, has to work with all of those. And there could be 11 different solutions, potentially. Yeah, potentially. Of course, that's... uh that's not what we catered for, right? I mean, this is what I said earlier. We want to really go uh, based on and charge based on the standards. So it was was also a clear requirement uh, we put out that we use the CCS 
charging standards. So, in order to uh, to be very close to um, to serious production and to be very close to uh, to a serious uh, software which we have developed. So, if you would have uh, bespoke software for each team, um, I think that wouldn't work. Okay. Right. So, but the thing is. Um, Still, uh, as you rightfully say, every team has its own powertrain and manages its powertrain. So uh, we have to make sure, of course, that there might be repercussions from the powertrain via the battery, which might cause some communication issues. Uh, uh, it's always a risk. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier the the learning that you take mm -hmm. from a championship to apply it back to, if you like, the road car business or, or, or mm -hmm. the, the non-racing mm -hmm. activities. How does that really work? Do you find you get accelerated learning from being in this environment? Yeah, sure. I mean, what we what we have here, uh, let's look at the particularities. I mean, the one is is surely the the speed of uh, of interaction. Uh, the other is when you design the charger, um, you design the charger to be at a fixed spot, so it's installed, it's it's screwed to the ground or to the wall or whatever as a foundation and, and it's sitting there yeah? um, there's also mobile chargers uh, but this is mobile chargers more for garages actually i mean yeah, yeah for, for repair garages for dealerships uh, they they can move around a bit but it's it's still then in the same building and it's uh, it's a protected environment what we talk about here is we um, we talk about a charger which um, uh, is on and offloaded um, uh, is Hopping on planes, traveling the globe in different climate conditions, uh, is uh, is thrown around like uh, in the boxes, <laughs> and so you need to make that very robust so um, that um, that it really can travel the world and flawlessly. And then, so of course, then it's also on wheels. The other thing is then the the input can also vary. Usually, you connect it, you commission it, you have a certain crit input in terms of uh, what what you get as on. On a voltage level, on a uh, on a ripple um, as well. So, and that can really differ as well here from race to race because the the situation of what you get as an input uh, in, uh, in in Hyderabad in India might be really different than what you get in in Portland in Oregon, or what you get in in London. Yeah? I mean, this is really uh, <laughs> sounds like manageable, but uh, it's, it's things we also need to to watch out for. Yeah? So it's kind of this, um, and this makes the product unique, so that it really needs to to be able to be robust and travel. Uh, and uh, cater to different uh, environmental and input conditions. And, and then you have the situation to charge two cars, but that is, uh, again, that is pretty standard. And just to give our, our listeners a, a picture, this the charge that we're talking about, it's, it's quite large. It's not like something you would put in your pocket. It's, it's, um, it's what is like a, a, a meter plus tall, mm -hmm. and it's, it's about two meters wide. So it's, it's quite a physically big object that, mm -hmm. that that is being transported so it's mm -hmm. it's a substantial device isn't it yeah absolutely yeah, absolutely but it's it's still i mean it, it's large but uh looking at the power level you're having you have 160 kw and for 160 kw um yeah a meter tall and a meter wide as a, as a cubo uh is actually not that big, 460 kilowatt, which also makes it, I think, the most compact charger for 160 kilowatt, which is even out there on the market. So that compact design is also key because you, you when you look at our 360, uh, so a charger for um, uh, for for the wild, for the for the open public space, you design differently because you you want to have that visible from the distance, so you make it quite tall. So even if the the, the, the upper space might be empty, <laughs> but but still you make it tall to be visible, right? And, and so you really have to cut it down. But then if you cut it down 
to the meter in height, uh, that's again a different story because uh, then you uh, you need to look again at the uh, let's say at the heat dissipation you have inside the product. How do you get the heat out? How is the airflow uh, going through that product, etc. And obviously something that is manageable and relatively compact is very important in a racing environment. So it takes up less space. It's easier to frame all these design challenges that, you, uh, that you've alluded to. So an- another point that's uh, interesting is that while we've spoken a bit about racing, this obviously fits into the whole electrification strategy for ABB e-mobility. So this is part of a much bigger e-mobility story for you. So perhaps you could tell us about you know, the, where you are with the sort of EV transition that we're all experiencing, how that's fitting in with your business. Yeah, I mean, the EV transition is in full swing. So we talk about, um, let's say, higher rates of, uh, of EV penetration year over year. You find different sorts of studies. So we, we also um, uh, have a couple of studies which we look at. I mean, they're all different, but uh, what they have all in common is that they all show massive growth over the next decade in e-mobility. So it's not so much a question on, on, on whether this market will take off. It's more a question how fast will it, uh, will it go and uh, is there anything even out there to derail it. So and, um, we, have, uh, we have in our business now, we had growth rates since 2017 of um, what is about 64% compound annual growth. So every year, an average, 64%. That's uh, that's something you need to manage, right? So if you have that over five, six years, year over year. And uh, I think we we managed quite well. Um, We we have grown our business significantly. We um, we brought uh, also new um, production online. We have opened last year a a huge state-of-the-art facility in, uh, in Italy, San Giovanni Valdano in Tuscany. Um, so uh, we triple our output there uh, again. We um, we now start in uh, in Q1 2023 a manufacturing site in uh, in Colombia, uh, South Carolina, United States. Um, so to to cover that demand and and to comply with uh, again with local regulations there. So uh, we we also work with uh, manufacturing partners in, uh, in in Eastern Europe, and then we also increased our capabilities in China for the Chinese market, as well. So we're growing everywhere. Also our back end, uh, so we're really coping with that. At the same time, uh, we um, we look at our portfolio, and um, we uh, we will launch a new uh, charger for 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 residential and multifamily in uh, at uh, in the United States at, at CES in, uh, in early January. Um, then we, um, yeah, we just uh, launched our Terra 360, our flagship charger over Europe. We'll also bring that uh, later on to the United States as well. Um, so this this gets a really good uh, market acceptance because uh, it's it's really um, uh, kind of state of the art. So I think uh, overall, yeah, we we we're in a growing market. Um, we um, we invest heavily to uh, be on par with that growth and. Uh, and uh, manage to, to, to flip that into revenues. And uh, at the same time, we continue with our portfolio development. Now, you mentioned when we, we started, just before we were talking, before we started the recording, that uh, you spent some of your career in China mm-hmm. and you, you saw this, what you might call the sort of e-mobility mm-hmm. birth signs yeah. in the early 2000s. So mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting. Perhaps you could just take us back to what you saw then. <laughs> 
Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, back then I was uh, was working uh, in the automotive industry, so for um, for Bosch on the supply side, and and we um, doing all sorts of things, uh, but not e-mobility um, back then. But what was very common, and that was 2004 to 2008, uh, when I was living in China in uh, a very nice city uh, close to Shanghai called Suzhou, with the Venice of the East. And lots of Chinese cities already back then said we don't want to have uh, combustion-driven two-wheelers. So back then they, they really changed the whole fleet uh, into um, yeah, e-scooters, actually, um, which, uh, which the Chinese sometimes said it's the silent death because you don't hear them. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, the downside back then was, I mean, the batteries were, were still lead-acid batteries, so um, not really ideal. But the trend was clear. You had a two-wheeler, silent, clean uh, in terms of uh, emissions on the spot, and um, very convenient also to uh, to charge. So that was kind of the, the starting point, 2004, 2008. So um, we um, we saw that then coming into uh, I think these these type of scooters in in Europe they they started like 2010 something yeah, in that range, 2011. Then uh, also there was the phase when the first pedelecs started, so the uh, bikes, uh, e-bikes. Yeah. And um, the uh, the whole industry to bring that into cars, uh, yeah, there were some early prototypes in, in 2008 and so on, but uh, 2010 is where it slowly started, where, where then uh, Nissan came up with its leaf. And, and so you were talking about... Um, yeah, a 50 kilowatt charger being an ultra fast charger, right? Back then. Can you believe how fast things have progressed or, or from your perspective, like right inside it? Yeah. Was it obvious that things were going to move this fast? Hindsight is always uh, easy, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're at the point, I mean, uh, going back to that China experience, when you sit there in China and you, um, yeah, you see a whole fleet of, of, of millions of, of e-scooters based on lead acid batteries um, and they, uh, they, they they charge on a, on a socket outlet <laughs> um, somewhere you um, you don't really think that this is something which um, which will flip into cars soon yeah? so it takes some uh, some leapfrogging technologies to do that and I think one of the key technologies uh, for sure is, is is all around the battery so to come up with a high density lithium-ion battery uh, which um, which can carry that uh, that energy um, to to bring a car a few hundred kilometers né? and um, efficient powertrains, of course, and then yeah, the charging technology and alongside with the charging technology, the the communication with the car. I think you needed to be very visionary in uh, in two thousand and and four probably to see uh, the stage where we're now in two thousand and twenty two. So if I think if someone would have told me in two thousand four. 12, 15, 16 years down the road, um, you, um, you will drive electric, your car will have a reach of, uh, of almost 400 kilometers, uh, you can recharge your car in, in like uh, 20 minutes um, on a high power charger, um, 350 kilowatt uh, at a whatever, at an Ionity station, and, and, and you just continue, and these stations are all across Europe or similar networks in the US, and, and I said, yeah. <laughs> dream on yeah and um, probably you would have said this so you need to be very visionary to to envision exactly that now um when um, when we sit here now and, and we talk about um that being the technology which is the standard right now then 
Of course, the question is, where are we in the next 15 years? Uh, where will that go? That, that was actually going to be my next question, because do you feel we're still accelerating at that pace? Uh, and is, is there still a large element of education that's needed, if you like, or, or learning to, so that people feel comfortable to make the change to EVs? That's, are we still in that phase? I think it's getting better. So um, trust level in EVs is getting higher. So people trust more in the EVs. They trust more in the range. Yeah? But if you, if you ask uh, non-EV drivers what keeps them away from driving an EV, it's still that. I mean, one is still the cars are not as affordable. So um, we're still not at parity. Um, and secondly, is the trust in the uh, technology, particularly the charging. Yeah? So, um, yeah, I want to go um, on vacation. I want to go skiing vacation. I know it's getting cold. And uh, can I really charge? And everybody is charging at the same place. So I have to line up, which, of course, is not ideal if that happens. Um, so, But this is... Uh, this is still the, the largest barriers, actually. So it's this, uh, the experience as a user. And even if you're a passionate EV driver like myself, yeah, um, usually it works flawlessly, but usually is not every time. Yeah? And uh, there is enough uh, occasions, damn it. Yeah? So again, uh, something doesn't work. Yeah? It's not necessarily the, the charger itself. And I'm, I'm not talking about ABB chargers. I'm talking about the industry right now. Yeah? But it's... Um, um, it's whatever your app doesn't work or you get get to a charger because you're in a different city and you need to charge, but now there is none of the charges you're signed up to. So you need to download another app and, and, and give your credit card details just to be able to charge or there is a credit card reader and, okay, you want to do that, but then this credit card reader accepts a tap only and in your tap function doesn't work. <laughs> it's all that, that sort of... Um, of particularities. Yeah. So I think the industry has to, uh, to still take a, a long way to create more a user-friendly standard. Uh, I mean, from our side, from ABB Mobility, we're, we're there to, to help to drive, but of course we're also dependent on, on what our customers want from us. Yeah. And uh, you cannot imagine how different the variations are. And then I think a much bigger point, which is not so visible to the consumers usually, is the availability of uh, of power on the sides. Because when you um, came up with this example of, of skiing holiday, right? So if uh, if you're in, around these weekends of uh, whatever carnival season in Europe, yeah, so everybody wants to go skiing. So the roads are usually jammed. Yeah. Now um, your your range goes down in winter of the battery. So if you want to go to a, if you go to a skiing resort. I think you have the tendency to to not go there with a depleted battery and then find a place where you want to have a certain state of charge when you get there and, and to get away as well in winter. And so there's queuing at the, uh, the charging stations. What you need to get to is uh, is places where you do not have like four stalls or six stalls, places where you have 24 stalls or 48 stalls or whatever. Yeah. And uh, that's, of course, huge investments. But besides of that, um, it's also huge power requirements. And uh, you need to, to bring that power to the sites. And uh, that is discussions with utilities. Then you have to do with permitting, with planning. And uh, these planning cycles um, our customers go through, um, they don't talk about weeks or months. They talk about years. Is this where governments have a role to play? These, these big infrastructure questions... Is that really where you need a concerted government level involvement? If you like, say, look, we're going to, 
if you take the Chinese example and, and things that have happened in the US recently, you've had major government investments to drive EV progress. Is that kind of what's needed? That is for sure helpful. Uh, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's always you need a certain push if you want to want to come out with a technology change. Uh, you need some some push and some help, yeah? and governments can help. And uh, what's happening in the US right now, uh, the it's huge funding. I mean, the the IRA Inflation Reduction Act uh, that really pumps a tremendous amount of money into the green industry in general, uh, which is great. Now with the Inflation Reduction Act, they actually get at the forefront, and uh, yeah, now we're at, at a situation where the European Union is even complaining. Oh, it's probably too much and too much of too much subsidy. How do we react now? Yeah, so I think the right way to react is creating a positive environment. Is uh, is not not coming up with, with, with rules or whatever, but is really getting out there and saying, look, um, yeah, uh, we also uh, support and fund a transition to green energy. Yeah? So this is where they can help. But I guess your, your point there, perhaps that you're alluding to, is, is uh, fostering a, an atmosphere for innovation and, and, and new developments. And really that brings us back to what we see here in ABB Formula. It's a constant stream of innovation. So Perhaps this is a good example for a slightly strange one, a slightly extreme one, but a good example of how innovation can take place in this in this market. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you think the electrification that we see in AV Formula is simply just an inevitability for for road transport and, and motorized transport? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's amazing. I mean, looking at this uh, Gen three car now compared with uh, the eight seasons before is a big step. Yeah, I mean, again, they uh, they managed to reduce the size and the weight of the battery significantly, whilst at the same time increasing the range. That's that's fantastic. I mean, that is that is innovation. Yeah, increasing the acceleration, getting a different kind of noise level from the car. So, if if you look at that, that this, uh, I think that is innovation. A, uh, the the car manufacturers can really. Uh, fast track innovation, use it as a test lab, what we always say, and the same for us in the charging. Uh, we're never at the end of the story. <laughs> it, really, it really continues. Uh. And what better way to check in on that never-ending story than by following ABB Formula E throughout Season 9, which starts with the Mexican E-Prix on January the 14th. ABB will be covering the season on its social media channels throughout the year, and you can also find the latest championship news on new.abb.com which is also a window into the wide world of ABB. That brings this episode of ABB Decoded to a close, but if you've enjoyed the conversation, don't forget to like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>